Well, good morning, everyone. Just like the first service, that's what I thought. Um, so I do this to y'all every week that I'm up here, and every week y'all fail in the same manner. And I'm starting to get a little offended by it. Y'all know when I speak to you, I want you to speak back. But I know on y'all's end, y'all hate speaking back because I hate doing it when I'm out there. I'm the guy that doesn't speak. All right? I, so, good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. Um, are y'all doing okay? Great. Okay. You, at least on the second time, did better than the first service. Because on the second time, they still were like, nope, ain't doing it. Uh, so, anyhow, we're glad that you're here. My name is Joseph Baker. I'm the student pastor. If you're joining with us online, we're glad that you're joining in with us as well today. So, you get me and, and Will. Uh, Will's always on the A team, but I'm the B team. I'm here because Alan is in Henderson, Nevada, right? Henderson, Nevada is 10 minutes out of Las Vegas, which is where one of our partners in ministry is, and that is Favor City Church in Las, uh, Las Vegas. So they went out there to do a mission trip. They're man, doing what they do, and uh, hopefully they're all, they're all safe. If they're watching, I doubt they are. I figure they're they're at the Favor City Church doing what they do. But if they are watching, glad y'all are tuning in. Um, but I want to say welcome to you guys. So glad that you're here this morning. And we've got quite a little bit to truck through today. Um, and it's actually kind of interesting. So we're going to continue going through the series in Mark. If y'all remember right, for the past three weeks, we've been walking through this section of the book of Mark. Um, this is going to be week four. This week's sermon title is called Authority Rejected. So we're going to walk through that a little bit and get through it. But before we start, if y'all are good with it, I'm going to pray. We'll get ourselves set up and we'll just roll through it. All right? Y'all pray with me. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to be here with you and to be able to hopefully gain a little bit from your word. And, and today, God, I just pray that you begin to open our hearts, God, soften our ears, God, so that we can fully grasp and understand what it is that you have for us. God, help us to, to really be able to gain everything from this, this group of scripture that you have for us and, and begin to remove me. God, help this to be nothing about me, that your words are what travels through me and none of this is anything that I say but what you say, God, that, that um, somebody's able to get something from this because of the power of your word. And as always, God, if today is the last time that you ever choose to use me to deliver your message and to present your gospel, God, I pray that it is done in a, in a manner that brings you glory and is pleasing to you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, guys. So authority rejected. When we were, when I was like studying through this and, and looking through it and reading through it, there, there were a few things that popped into my head. One is we all have different authority figures in our life in some shape, form, or fashion at one point or another, right? Um, if you have a job, your authority figure is your boss, right? supervisor. I can't get it right. Supervisor. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Get, get, y'all calm down, all right? Uh, boss, supervisor. My son calls them bosses. Uh, in my line of work, we call them supervisors. But, yeah, that's an authority figure, right? Um, another authority figure uh, is one that I think a lot of you, probably half of you have in here, that is your wife, right? Wives are huge authority figures. And that one hit harder in the first service. Maybe it's because y'all aren't married, right? Nobody in here is married, so y'all don't get it. That makes sense. Um, so wives can be authority figures. Husbands, you'll get berated if we say this, but husbands, you're authority figures, right? And the women are like, no, they're not. So 
as we walk through this, you're going to see things like your coaches, your teachers. Those are all authority figures in your life, some shape, form, or fashion at one point or another. You kind of have to fall under what they are, what they represent, what they tell you to do, right? Um, You can also fall under random authority figures, say, when you go into Walmart. The greeter, if he tells you to do something, what do you do? You do what the greeter said, right? You, man, y'all are killing me. I'm going to start this whole thing over because y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all are just making me feel awkward and weird. Um, so say you're waiting in line to get food at a food truck, and dude yells out the window and tells you you're in the wrong spot or go over here to pick up your order. What do you do? <laughs> you, you do it, right? Authority is something that we have come up in our life a lot in a lot of different facets, a lot of different ways. And the way we respond to that matters. Okay. Another thing as I was thinking through this was there was one individual that just kept coming into my mind. And it just kept, man, just owning me and, and, and just getting in my head. And I was thinking about this individual. And it's an individual that they always try to give their authority. Like they, they try to demand it. They try to get in that place and say, this is who I am. This is what you shall do. And more times than not, that authority is not, it's not heated. It, it is not, they don't do it, right? They just kind of laugh at this authority figure. Um, the person that I'm talking about, some of y'all may know him, is Barney Fife. Have y'all ever, do y'all know who Barney Fife is, right? Barney Fife does his very best in his little bitty body to demand authority, right? In the Andy Griffith, though, and Andy Griffith, though, in the Andy Griffith show, if you've ever watched it, Barney will do anything and everything to try to get people to listen to him. That's just what he does. There's a certain episode in itself where there are two individuals and they're pulled off beside the road just outside Mayberry and they are selling vegetables illegally. Now, what makes it illegal? I don't remember. Maybe they don't have a license. Maybe they're parked two inches on this side of the road and Barney can't handle it. Something they have done is illegal, right? So Barney goes out there and he starts telling them, hey, uh, Y'all got to get to moving. And they're like, yeah, no, we're not. And he's like, well, I said to move, so move. Y'all got to go. What you're doing is wrong and it's illegal. And if y'all have ever watched Barney, you know, when he starts getting disrespected, he starts getting flustered. And when he starts getting flustered, he starts to get a little mad. And he might shake a little bit and do his arms and get a little heavy. And he'll start, you know, getting a little bit of that loud voice. And he'll say, I'm Barney. and I'm. Y'all know, right? You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. But Barney always struggles to get people to listen to his authority. But there is a point in that episode where Barney goes back to Andy. And he's in the office. And they're going at it. And Barney's mad, spitting fire, pulling at his belt, rubbing his hair, doing everything he can just to hold himself together. And then the people go back to selling, and somebody tells him, hey, those people are still out there selling. So Barney says, that's it. I've got to handle it. He goes all the way back out to the side of the road to talk to those people, and he says, all right, guys, y'all got to go. Well, they're big, and they cross their arms, and they take a step towards him. Well, he starts getting a little more nervous, right? And he's like, nope, now I said y'all need to go. Well, they take a step closer. <laughs> Barney starts pulling at his collar, and he's getting nervous because he's like, these guys are not listening to me. I don't know what to do. So he finally tells them, now, guys, y'all may not listen to me, but 
you have to listen to this badge that represents the law that I am representing. I'm not telling you to go as Barney Fife. I'm telling you to go as Deputy Sheriff Barney Fife, right? He starts pointing at the, at the thing that gives him the authority to tell them to go. And in that, what do they do? Okay, we'll go, and they leave, right? So it's not that, that Barney had authority on his own, but Barney started to use the authority that he wielded, that he was given in order to carry out his job, right? That killed yeah, four or five minutes, so that's good. We don't have much, much more to go. So as we walk through this, we're going to go through a few little sections. We're going to go through a few things. I want you all to remember that and think about that in the, in the aspect of authority and what we're going to be looking at here. So point number one as we get going is going to be Judas picking prosperity over Jesus. Judas picks prosperity over Jesus, and that is in Mark 14, starting in verse 43. So y'all read this with me. Mark 14, 43. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. And then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Now, I want you to stop and think. Because this is what we're going to do in all three points. throughout. This is going to be the vein of this lesson. I want you to think about Jesus in this moment. Think about what he, what he felt, what he thought, maybe even how all this transpired in his head. Because here's Jesus, and he's standing there, and, and he knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's going to get betrayed. He knows all the things that are coming. But Judas, one of the one that one of the ones that was with him, the, the twelve, and he was with him the whole time, and they, they obviously had some sort of relationship. Judas walks up and, and he tells the guards, You're gonna know which one to arrest, because they clearly had no idea who Jesus was. They hadn't seen him, they hadn't thought anything of him, because they said, You'll know the one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. If they knew who Jesus was, the kiss was irrelevant. It was not needed. He had to point him out to him. Now Judas doesn't do what could have worked, right? He didn't just walk up in the crowd and go, there's Jesus. That's simple enough, right? Let me show you who he is. It's that guy right there. No, he didn't do that. He didn't walk up. He didn't gut punch him. He didn't elbow him in the face. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he chose an act that is meant to be one of care, one of love, one of, one of complete communion and he walks up and he kisses him imagine being Jesus one of your friends walks up and lays a kiss on you knowing that it is full of deceit full of hurt full of just <laughs> I'm turning you over what does Jesus do exactly Nothing. I can tell you last night, I went to the kitty carnival. Any of y'all ever been to the kitty carnival? 
I went to the kitty carnival. And it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed standing in line um, and standing in line <laughs> and uh, standing in line. It was a blast. We, we had a lot of fun, but there was one of the workers there who kind of made me mad. All right? like, and I had to repent of my, my wrongdoing, and I had to get to a place that I was like, you overreacted. <laughs> but it is human nature, and y'all don't judge me until you know what happened because you would probably be mad too, all right? So I was wearing my hat. It was apparently an Auburn hat. I, maybe, yeah, I guess. I don't know which hat I was wearing. But uh, the, the dude had to know I was an Auburn fan somehow because of something I was wearing. But as I was walking in, one of the workers looked at me and he said, hey, man, War Eagle. Well, in my younger days, I used to point at people when they said that. Don't know why. I guess I got nervous. They'd say War Eagle and I'd point at them. <laughs> and my wife was like, okay, if you're going to be an Auburn fan, you, you have to learn to say War Eagle back. And I was like, oh, okay, gotcha. Like, hey, yeah, War Eagle. Um, so I, I've learned that. So the dude said, hey, man, War Eagle. And I was like, yeah, War Eagle, buddy. And uh, I was walking by and he went, hey, you're here. Yeah, so I stuck my hand out and he went, just kidding. Oh, and he climbed all over me. I got mad. And I, we were walking off and I told Lauren, I said, I want to punch that dude in the face. And it, it had nothing to do with the, the, the Auburn aspect of it. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. It was more the fact that this dude just disrespected me. And he made a fool out of me in front of all these little kids. So I got, I mean, it was, I had to talk to myself for a second. Y'all ever been there, right? I mean, and it was just one of those things that like, I felt like an idiot. Because here I was, like, yeah, man, he's like, nope. Okay, oh, oh, hey, I mean, it climbed all over me. But like I said, I've since repented of that, and I've realized that I was wrong. But if that made me mad, a dude that I don't even know, I've never seen before, and over something petty is like leaving me hanging on a high five that he started. Okay, like I get it. Could you imagine being Jesus in this moment? Or one of your friends walks up and turns you over to be arrested and betrayed and does it with a kiss. What would we have done? I want to handle it, right? Like Judas, you jerk. How dare you? in front of all my other disciples, in front of everyone. You're going to do that? There's a flesh side of you that wants to right a wrong, right? There's a flesh side of you that wants to make sure that something's handled. And I want to encourage you in this, and this is, this is going to be tough. Are you all ready? You can't always right your wrongs that are done to you. That's not your place. That's not your job. You see, in this moment, if Jesus decides to right the wrong, if he, if he addresses Judas, maybe if he does something to Judas, or he throws this thing off, his plan for his life that God has in the will for Jesus does not happen. You see, there's scripture that back, backs this up. It says, for those, uh, all things work out for the good of those that love God, right? So, so if, you, if you're a believer and you love God and somebody does something wrong to you, somebody lies on you, somebody tells stories about you, somebody makes you look out to look like you're an idiot, the flesh side of you wants to make that right. You want to clear your name. You want to fix it. I will not be made to look a fool. But if you look at the example of Jesus, that's not your place. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 
sometimes you're going to get done dirty. It's not your place to make it right. Because just maybe, it's a weird way to look at it, just maybe that is in the will of your life that is going to take you somewhere that you need to be. That's going to put you in a position that you need to be in. That's going to put you in a place that you can help somebody else. That's something you have to walk through in order for God's plan to happen in your life. And if you start taking it into your hands and start wanting to make sure that you're made right, you're avenged, you're made to, to, be, to be okay in that situation, you may be stepping into something you shouldn't. And that seems very backwards. But through all this scripture that I'm about to read to you, you're going to see this vein run through Jesus. Where if he stops any of these things where people undermine who he is and his authority in their life, we don't make it where we are today. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep reading this, okay? So Judas has just betrayed him with a kiss. Verse 46. Then it says the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave slashing off his ear. And Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come at me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what scriptures say about me. These things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all of his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only with a long linen shirt. And when the, man, when the mob tried to grab him, he slipped off his shirt and ran away naked. You see, we can run through situations and we can be put in a place to where bad things happen. Jesus has done nothing wrong at this point. He has done nothing, said nothing. Every bit of him has been perfect. Judas decided to betray him. His disciples tried to run away from him. And he gets turned over and he says, Hey guys, why are y'all coming at me with swords and gloves? Am I, am I some troublemaker? Am I some revolutionary that's causing a lot of fit? Because last time I checked, I ain't done nothing to nobody. Why are you coming at me like this? Judas, why would you bring all them people with you? Why? You see, Jesus does nothing, and it's beautiful. How many times do we do something that we shouldn't? How many times do we try to take those situations into our own hands? Y'all think about that for just a minute as we jump into point number two. Point number two is where Peter chooses protection over Jesus. And y'all watch this. Peter chooses protection over Jesus. Mark 14, we're going to start in verse 66. It says, Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway, and just then a rooster crowed. And when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. And a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. 
So at this point, what you see is Peter doing what we all know. Peter denies Jesus three times, right? We, we see it, we know it, we've heard the story. But let's look at life application for this for y'all, and then we're going to look at how this may have affected Jesus and where he was. We look at Peter and we say, we'll never do it. How did Peter deny Jesus? How did he do those things? Well, I'm not going to say that you've denied Jesus in your life. I'm not going to say that because I don't know. But what I can tell you is that fear can make you do some things that you would probably find questionable on any other time. For instance, Peter in this moment chose protection because if he owns up to being a follower of Christ, if he owns up to knowing Jesus, if he owns up to, to saying, I am one of his, he has no idea what is to come because he just watched Jesus get arrested. He just watched him get put on trial. He, he knows what's happening to him. What's going to happen to Peter if I say I'm with that? So Peter gets nervous and fear starts to creep in into the unknown. And then Peter does what I would think is stupid, just in general. He knows he's lied three times. He knows he knows Jesus, but he's told everybody he doesn't, right? And then, then he goes on to say, and may a curse be on me if I'm lying. What a goof. If I know I'm lying, am I going to say, put a curse on me if I'm lying? No. Why did he do that? Because he was trying to emphatically show how much he didn't know Jesus because of the fear that was interjected in his life. What he's saying is, I'd rather take a curse and, and, and to show you that I'm not associated with him than to say I'm associated with him and see what you do to me. Have we ever done that? Maybe not to that degree, but we ever been in school and people are talking about stuff. I mean, some of you young, younger kids, I mean, people are talking about things that you know not to be right, but you go along with it anyways. Or maybe you're at work and people are talking about topics of today, topics of yesterday, the things that, that maybe the world sees and does and maybe their viewpoints on it because not everybody in your workplace is a Christian. Not everybody in your workplace is going to have the same viewpoints as you. And maybe there's a group of five or six that are all sitting there and they have a certain way that they view something and you see it different. Do you speak up? Or do you kind of go along with it out of fear of what they may think about you or what that may cost you in your job or what they may say about you. You see, we may not blatantly just come out of nowhere and deny Jesus, but every day in our lives, we may have situations where we don't stand up for Jesus in a situation that we could have. Maybe we'll, we allow our morals and what we think to be muted out of fear. Out of fear of what? Ostracism? Being ostracized, maybe being seen differently, maybe, maybe out of fear that, that, that somebody may not like us if they know that, out of fear that maybe, maybe somebody will think we're weird. I know I dealt with that more in high school than I do now. I mean, in high school, shoot, I was, I was in a school where I didn't know much about the Bible, and all it was was the Bible. <laughs> so you want to talk about not interjecting yourself in things. And then, then the way I started learning things may not be the way that these people learn things. And then what do you do? How do you say it? What do you say? Like, it, it becomes really, and sometimes it's easier just to say, oh, yeah, I get that. Because that's not agreeing, but that's not disagreeing. I see your viewpoint. I get that. I can see it. That makes sense. Y'all ever done that or is that just me? 
See, what we're doing is the same thing that Peter does. He just does it a little different. He was faced with a more dire situation where we're faced with little opportunities to accept the authority of Christ or reject it. Sometimes we do it and sometimes we don't. Let's keep reading this and watch something here. In verse 71, it says, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter broke down and wept. How many times have we been in that situation where, man, we shied away from something that we may know to be true around a group of people to, to avoid that situation, and then you get home and you go, wow, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe you get a little pit in your stomach going, I didn't stand up for Christ at all in that. I didn't stand up for what I believed in that one iota. I did nothing. And then you start to feel bad. Like, why didn't I? Man, what if they think that I believe this? And what if they think that I, th- and now, man, I've killed my witness. I might as well just quit. I'm done. Or is that just me too? Okay, yeah. So here you see Peter do that. You see it hit him. You see it break him down. And he gets to this point that he starts to weep and, he, and he's crying. And then let's look at Jesus as part of the scene. He just got arrested Judas just betrayed him, and they walk him in, and, and he's, he's in under guard, and they take him into the trial, and he's sitting there. At this point, there's other point, there's other scripture that says Jesus looked at Peter, right? So we obviously know there's a way for Jesus to see into the courtyard to see Peter, but he's inside. So let's just say there's a window right here. Y'all good with that? Can we pretend there's a window? <clears throat> All the leading priests and the elders and everyone are in here giving Jesus a trial. It's a fake trial. It's nothing. They've got a lot of people in here just throwing accusations at Jesus. And none of them are true and none of them can corroborate. It says that, that, that out of all the things that are said about Jesus, not one of them can tie to the other. They can't find any two people to tell the same lie. So here they are, and none of this stuff is true. And Jesus is struggling with it. And you know he's already been betrayed, so he's mad because that dude left him hanging. So he's frustrated about that probably. And he's listening to this, and he knows it's garbage. And then something in his spirit does what he knew was going to happen. Peter denied him the third time. And you know that probably twinges a little bit in Jesus because he knows it happened because he looked right at Peter when it happened, right? So Jesus is sitting there and he's going through all this and, and it says that he looks at Peter. And this is the part of the sermon where I want you all to actually answer me. What kind of look do you think Jesus gives Peter? Somebody give me one. A sad one? Disappointed, compassion. There are a few things that ran through my head. I don't think Jesus did this one. Told you. <laughs> Which is what I would have done. <laughs> hey, you see me? I told you you do, I didn't. I? Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. I don't think he looks at Peter with anger. 
Because why would he? That's not Jesus' character, is it? But I do think he looks at him with compassion. And if you've ever been in a place where you've done something stupid and somebody looks at you with compassion, which literally means I care about you so much so that it's hurting in my gut that I feel the same way you feel, Jesus probably looks at Peter and is like, Peter, buddy, I know that hurts. Man, I know you're hurting right now because we're friends and you know what you just did. And you know it hurts. But, but don't give up. Don't lose heart, Peter. Because I, I know you're hurting right now, but trust me, later on it's going to be okay. And you see this later on in Scripture. Whenever Jesus has already resurrected and he's on the shore and he starts to cook and Peter's out on the water and he sees him and Peter throws off his cloak and he jumps in the water and he swims all the way to the shore and he gets there and he talks to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, Peter, hey, buddy, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you, Jesus. He says, then feed my sheep. And then he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus looks at him one more time and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, why did you just ask me a third time? Because you know Peter hadn't given up on what he did. He knew he betrayed him, and he knew it hurt, and he was weeping, and he was, he was heartbroken by it. And then he sees Jesus. He's like, Jesus, hey, hey, I love you, I love you. And why did you ask me three times? And Jesus says, Feed my sheep. He looked at him with compassion through the window, and then he takes him and he gives him a hug. And he says, man, don't worry about what you did. You messed up. Don't worry about denying me. You kicked the can. I know you love me. I knew you loved me then, and I know you love me now. Now, get off of it. Forget it. I forgive you. You've got a job to do. Just because you kicked the can once does not mean you're over. It does not mean you can no longer be what I've called you to be. Go, feed my sheep. And we see Peter do this in Acts whenever the day of Pentecost happens and he preaches and gives the gospel and over 3,000 people get saved in one instance. You see Peter go from I kicked the can to I'm embraced by Jesus and his forgiveness to I'm still living out a life even though I failed. And you see Jesus' love through all of that. I would encourage you, if you've been in a place where you've maybe not stood up like you should, maybe you didn't say what you should have said, maybe you shied away from Christ in a little facet, it's okay. It's fine. Because his mercy renews each morning. You know what mercy is, right? That's somebody holding a sword over your heart having every right to shove it straight through it and choosing not to. I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to take my power over you and not wield it. His mercies renew every morning. He has every right to kill you. He has every right for you to be done. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus to give you grace and to give you mercy. Suck it in, take it in. When you fail, get up and keep going. When you didn't do what's right, get up and keep going. It's okay. You are human. You will sin. That's why Jesus came. 
But remember, when you do fail, don't think Jesus is looking at you like this. He's not mean mugging you. He's looking at you with compassion. He's looking at you with love. Saying, let's go. Get up. You're better than that. Point number three. Pilate chooses peace over Jesus. Pilate chooses peace over Jesus. This is Mark 15, starting in verse 1. It says, very very early in the morning, the leading priests and elders uh, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked Jesus, aren't you going to answer him? What about all these charges they're bringing up against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Are you going to do anything, Jesus? Because when Judas betrayed you, you did nothing when you could have. When Peter denied you, you did nothing when you could have. And now here it is, all these people are shouting things at you that ain't true. They're they're accusing you of stuff. You going to say anything? Nope. Ain't going to say nothing. Why? Every bit of this is in God's plan for his life. And he's fallen under that authority even whenever it causes him pain, even whenever it causes him things. He's getting lied on. He's getting stories told against him. And I think at this point, Pilate's starting to realize who Jesus is. I think at this point, Pilate has an idea that Jesus may really be who he says he is. Later on in Scripture, you see that Pilate's wife actually says, Hey, Pilate, um, I don't think you need to be doing what you're doing. I'm pretty sure this man's the Messiah. Pilate understands. Y'all watch this. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner. Anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like for me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked? For he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Crucify him. And then Pilate, being in authority because he was the the Roman governor, timidly goes, why? Why do y'all want to crucify him? Or do you think Pilate does what any Roman governor probably would have done when he sees that Jesus is here 
wrongly, when he sees that everyone arrested him out of envy, when he sees that what they're saying is wrong and Jesus won't answer it, and he knows that Jesus is who he says he is, he's starting to understand it. Do you think at that point the crowd says, crucify him, and then Pilate goes, why? For what? Why do y'all want this man crucified but this murderer set free? What's your deal? That's more how I see it. Because if I'm the governor and I'm starting to see who Jesus is, I'm starting to try to control the situation. We want him crucified. Why? And you know what the crowd's response is? An even louder roar of crucify him. And Pilate does what a lot of us could sometimes probably do as well. He sees his authority threatened. He sees a crowd of people starting to uprise to make a decision, saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he's going, wait, why? And they're going, crucify him. And he's like, okay, I, there, there's a situation, and I don't know what to do. If I give them Jesus, they're going to hang me. And if I give them Barabbas, I've turned over an innocent man. If I give them Jesus, they'll, man. Okay, I'll appease you. And I will give you Jesus. I'll choose peace because I don't want y'all to do something to me. I would rather it be done to this man because <laughs> don't mess with me. I'm Pilate. And you see this right here. It says the mob roared even louder in verse 15. So to pacify the crowd. Not that he thought what he was doing was right. The governor literally gave in to peer pressure. It says to pacify the crowd. They won. Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and then turned over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Pilate knew what he did was wrong. Scripture goes on to tell you that, that he washed his hands. He said, I, I'm done with this. He tried to get repentance of it. He tried to say, I, 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 <laughs> because he knew what he did was wrong. But y'all watch this. Through this line of all the people rejecting Jesus and who he is and his authority, Judas does it, Peter does it, and now Pilate lets the people decide what happens with Jesus. Interject Jesus' thought, his mind, where he's at in this. I have Barabbas and I have Jesus. Which one do you want? And they say, Barabbas, and Jesus is going, hmm. I know you, and I know you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, the entire crowd. I helped create you. You are my children, and I love you. You are the creation that we made together. If you want Barabbas, that's fine. That hurts, but that's fine. As he still says nothing. And then Pilate stands up and says, why? And Jesus gets to listen. Why do they want him instead of me? And the response back is, crucify him. Take him out. Get rid of him. We don't want him. You know that hurt him. You know that's like somebody just taking it, ripping it, throwing it, and just stomping on it. The very creation. It wasn't just 
Judas. It wasn't just Peter, and it wasn't just Pilate choosing to pacify the crowd. It was the fact that humanity turned on him. They rejected him. And then I think Jesus does probably what I would see him do. I don't know this for a fact, but this is just a thought that I have. It says that Pilate turned him over to the Roman guards to be flogged and crucified. I don't believe anybody laid a hand on Jesus. I believe when Pilate said, he's yours, Jesus walks on. And he knows where he's going. He's walking over here to this post that he's got to wrap his arms around so that they can beat him with a lead-tipped whip. And they're going to chain him up, so he probably goes, chain me. Because this isn't about me. Do it. And he gets chained, and he bends over, and he stretches his back out so that the lead tip whips do more damage because of stretched skin. You ever tried to cut something, you hold it tighter to cut it? That's what they're doing. They stretch him out strong, and they stretch him out wide, and he takes 40 lashes minus one, and they beat him to a pulp. And you know what he says? Nothing. His authority is rejected. Everything about him is rejected. Humanity has turned him over. And he says nothing. And then he picks up his cross. And he carries it as far as he can until he physically can't carry it anymore. You see, Jesus may have not done anything but in doing nothing he did everything right there's a point to this story as you walk through all the all three points you see Jesus get rejected but Jesus hangs on the cross and he dies and he is buried in a tomb and three days later he's raised and then there's a paradigm shift and if we're talking about authority rejected I want to point y'all to something. In the same way that Barney Fife stands up and he says, you have to move, you have to do this, I am the authority, and, and nobody listens until he points at his badge. You now have the opportunity to fall submissive to Christ and who he represents in God, Yahweh, the one creator of the world. You have the opportunity to fall into submission of him. And when you become saved and you're a born-again believer, it says the Holy Spirit enters you and indwells you, and you then have the power of God in you. So then what you can do is you can reach up and you can take, take, the, take the badge off of Jesus that gave him the authority to do what he did, and you can put it on. And then you've been given an opportunity that everybody pre-Jesus didn't have. You've now been given the opportunity of the Holy Spirit within you that you have an authority granted to you by Christ. You are now a, a representative of Jesus Christ. You are now a representative of God. And in Matthew 28, you learn, I believe, let me tell you, make sure it's 28. I'm, I want to make sure I tell you right. Yeah, in Matthew 28, you learn that you are now given the authority to teach and to preach in Jesus' name and to baptize in the name of the Father, the whole Son, and the Holy Spirit. You couldn't do that before. You now have the authority granted to you by the Holy Spirit to represent God and to preach and to teach and to make disciples in Jesus Christ's name. Don't reject that authority. Because if you're a born-again believer, that's something you need to hold on to. Somebody's life may depend on it. 
later on in Scripture, in Mark 16, you see that you're also given the authority to lay hands on the sick and pray for them. You couldn't do that before. That wasn't your place. That was Jesus' job. Why? Because he came with that authority. But since he died and gave you the Holy Spirit, you now have that badge to put on you. And you say, I come in the name of Jesus Christ. I represent who he represents. I represent God. And because of that, Scripture gives me the authority to lay hands and to pray on you if you're sick. And you can be healed. That's an authority we don't need to reject. You also have the authority that if you will submit to God, if you will be submissive to God and who he is, Scripture tells you that you can resist temptation, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You talk about a power that lives in you that's greater than the power that lives in this world. It says you fall under the submission of God. Satan will run from you if you'll just resist him. He has no power over you that you do not have over him. Meaning, if he tempts me, he wants me to do something bad. He wants me to to fail. If I resist that temptation, he'll flee from me. I don't have to flee from him. I will stand my ground in the authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives in me, that Satan, you have no power over me. You see, pre-Jesus, we all rejected who he was, and we sent him to the cross, and we crucified him. But post-Jesus, you have an authority that should not be rejected. And if you reject that authority, A, somebody may not hear about Jesus. B, you respect, you reject that your whole life. Let me be blunt, hell is your home. You see, Jesus did all he could do to save you. He did all he could do to show you how much he loved you. He looked at you with compassion. He did nothing as he was led away to be crucified. He did all this to give you the opportunity. Scripture says, That for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Because we sin, death must happen. And Jesus took that. And if we reject that love that he did for us and we reject it our entire life, you have no hope of heaven. Hell is your home. And let me tell you, hell was not created for you. Hell was created for Satan and his angels. That's scripture. Satan and his angels, those those demons, that is their place. But heaven was created for you. All of it's set in place. It is literally up to you or whether or not your entire life you kiss Jesus and get him out of the way. You deny him every time you can. You choose your ease of life over him. All of it's in your hands. If you want to be saved, all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's scripture. It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you can and will be saved. That is it. But if you reject that authority your entire life, nothing else can be done for you. So I want to encourage you, if you're a born-again believer, don't reject what God's done for you. Tell people about Jesus. Be the good news. Spread the gospel. Pray for people when they need it. 
Man, resist Satan and watch him flee for you. Use the power and the authority that you are given. But if you're not a born-again believer, I want to encourage you today. If you need Jesus, I would love to tell you about it. There are people here who can tell you about it. I want to make sure that you don't leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you no longer reject the power therein. 2 Timothy 3, 5 tells us that there, were people who will act, there are people who will act religious, but they will deny the power that can make them godly. They will deny the power that will make them godly. I don't want to be religious. I'd rather be godly. So I encourage y'all, don't let today go by where maybe you don't set something straight in your life. You don't right a wrong that you've done. You don't repent of a sin that you're in. Or or even just come to know Jesus for the very first time. So if you would, please stand. We'll sing. This is, your, this is your time. If you need prayer, come pray. If you need to pray for somebody, it doesn't matter. Whatever you need, come. And if you need to know more about Jesus, I would love to talk to you.